from the Carter Subaru Studios, this is the G and Ursula Show with G. Scott and Ursula Voitine. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Happy Leap Year Day. It is February 29th, Thursday, a beautiful morning in the Puget Sound region. We have another busy hour for you, the third hour of the G and Ursula show. G is out today. Mike Lewis is in. And we had a lot of fun in that last discussion. And uh, some people were saying that they could feel you blushing through the airwaves. I don't think you were blushing, though. About what? <laughs> Our what last discussion about about engagements and marriage and. But can, what would I, can, I, my question still remains? What yeah, would I be blushing? Well, about? because I asked you the question, like, why haven't you or Mary, in in, in this case, proposed? And uh, there was a long answer to that. Yeah. Which basically boiled down to, hey, you know what? It's working. There, it's working it? fine, and it's no one's business. And there you go. <laughs> There you go. Uh, Still ahead, we are going to talk about a young girl's passionate rendition of the national anthem, which has sparked some fierce debate on social media. We'll get into that at 1130. But right now, it is time for Agree to Disagree, brought to you by Guardian Roofing and Gutters. One of these days, we just got to take off the gloves, just really go at it. Earlier this month, Seattle pulled about $11 million away from the King County Regional Homelessness Authority. And today, the fine folks at Axios Seattle are questioning the agency's future and where we are going to go with this. Uh, In Ursula, I mean, basically, uh, we're going to be facing a decision. Is it time to wind the agency down? Do we want to restart it from scratch or get rid of a regional approach altogether? What are your feelings as of right now on a coordinated regional approach to homelessness in the Puget Sound region? So when the King County Regional Homelessness Authority first launched, I thought it was a great idea because it is not just Seattle problems. It is a regional problem. It Even though Seattle is the biggest city and maybe some would argue would have the biggest uh, issue with it, it is something that requires a regional approach and um the left hand needs to know what the right hand is doing and vice versa. So it sounded like a great idea, but the implementation of this agency and just the stops and starts, mostly stops, and the mistakes that have been made, including the the CEO who uh, had to or, or ended up resigning. Mark Downs. Yeah, Mark Downs ended up resigning, um, had asked for, there was a disagreement on whether tiny homes should be part of the solution. And then, I mean, it's just been one thing after another. And it's seemingly our homeless problem has gotten worse, not better since that thing started. And, and, and there's all sorts of talk about uh, financial mismanagement, uh, distrust between providers, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I've rarely heard anything positive come out of that agency. So I do think a regional approach is needed, and I would be open to either starting from scratch or uh, a complete revamp. But the revamp needs to include a better um, uh, maybe outreach so that we understand as people who are putting money into this whole thing, what is it that you're doing? What have you accomplished? What there, We need to hear less about the infighting and the mismanagement and more about actual accomplishment. I think that probably that the King County Regional Homeless Authority should be under the auspices of King County and not a separate agency. Uh, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to 
uh, for Seattle to fund a whole bunch of homeless services uh, and benefits and have the small cities not do their share, fair share. And and I think that if it's under King County, King County actually has sort of broad taxing authority uh, to manage this on a countywide basis. I mean, it is the agency that, that has literally elected representatives in every part of the county. And if you live in a city, you still have an elected representative. And that seems to me like at least an agency with some sort of capacity for its own constituency to connect, at least through the ballot box, if not some other way. But it doesn't seem to me like the homeless authority as it was structured. I mean, consider this. Mark Dones is a great example. Mark Dones was hired as a consultant to help set up the homeless authority. And then Mark Dones was hired. And clearly, whatever the concept was of setting it up, which he was paid handsomely for, um, or they were paid handsomely for, uh, the it didn't end up as a functional group in any way whatsoever, from policy standpoint to a personnel standpoint. So... So what do you do at this point? Well, it doesn't seem to me that it's worth, I don't know. I, it doesn't sound worth saving. So, so, so I would say, but, I, but the idea is worth saving. The agency may not be. And mm-hmm. so you can, there's impossible to, to handle this at a, and even at a regional level. You need to actually handle it state and federal level as well. I mean, this, yeah. is, this is a program that, that exists well beyond uh, geographic boundaries. And so, but it seems to me like at, at a regional level, a county is probably the best place with contra- taxing contributions from the, age, from the cities within the county. Uh, that seems to be the way to, to handle this because that is a regional governing authority. With, an, with actual districts that stretch county border to county border and, a, and an elected body that can make that is going to be held accountable for however well that agency performs. But you, I'm hard pressed, though, to list anything that the authority has accomplished in, in, in the years since it's. Inception. It's not that hard to list. I mean, there's there's been a, there's been an expansion of the tiny home project, which initially was initially, oppo- yes. uh, initially opposed by by Dones, Dones, who was not a fan. Ultimately, Dones became a fan of, or at least well, uh, acquiesced. Pressured. Whatever. Yes. I don't care. I mean, I don't need I don't need people's people's enthusiasm. I just need their action. And so it did happen, and it happened in a big way. And a lot of those are actually fairly well managed. There's an I've had two within a very short walk of where I live in Seattle. Both have been really well managed. Both are not creating additional problems. They're not apparently creating additional crime, none that I've seen anyway. I, I think that, that that actually is a great program, and that actually expanded under the homeless story. So I would argue that that has been one of the good things. And I, and I don't know that there's been it's been universally condemned. I do know that the budget ask was extraordinary. Yes. And, and that is not realistic in a, in a city of this size. But I, do, I would not say that everything that the Homeless Authority did was, was wrong. Yeah, I mean, you talk about the high, tiny home villages. I, I recall speaking to a, a resident of Arrowhead Gardens who has a tiny home village right down the street from them and also an illegal encampment in the woods next door. And they said that the tiny home village was amazing. Like the, the people there were awesome. They let them have their uh, their meetings inside the retirement center. And they said everything was working really, really, really well with this. Mike, I like your idea of it going up to the county level, because how much dissatisfaction is there, for example, with the Sound Transit Board, right, which is a regional board. It's supposed to serve all the areas. It includes elected representatives, but they're not accountable to anyone, any any constituency or voter. And I think what King County Regional Homelessness Authority has most effectively done is it has allowed city leaders around the county to punt. 
to punt and say homelessness is the sole purview of the King County Regional Homelessness Authority. It's their job. We're not making the decisions. We're giving them money. They're in charge of it. But I'm not responsible for the, for the problem anymore. And King County broadly has gotten a massive pass on homelessness this entire time. How many mayors have we like brought torches to of Seattle and said, what are you doing in Seattle as though this, the problem stems from Seattle? It only exists in Seattle. And it is the sole purview of Seattle to solve. I would love to see some of that accountability go up to the county level. I completely agree. All right, let's move on here. Uh, speaking of controversial, this seems like a proposal that would be out of, oh, I don't know, 1993, but it's actually San Francisco in 2024. Voters there are going to be asked whether uh, folks who receive cash assistance should have to be drug tested in order to receive that assistance. So just to explain how it works down there, uh, California state law requires that every county provide some kind of public assistance program to the poor. It's called uh, CAAP, C-A-A-P. And people who are unhoused, on average in San Francisco, receive about $712 per month of benefits. That could be uh, shelter, it could be food, but they're also receiving cash grants of about $190 dollars per month. And the polls are showing right now in San Francisco by a pretty broad majority that voters want people to take a drug test before they get that check. What say you, Ursula? I'm going to say I would probably align with the majority of voters in San Francisco and say, yeah, I mean, it, it, it that would make sense. Not that I don't think people who have addiction problems don't deserve to get money, but I think it would be an incentive to work on being clean and not using the money for drugs mm-hmm. if you did have to, to jump that hurdle. Mike, this is actually uh, supported broadly by London Mayor or by Mayor London Breed down there in San Francisco. He's also facing re-election though, right? Also facing re-election. Yeah. A lot yeah. of scrutiny. What say you? Uh, no, I think this is a terrible idea. And I think it's not even constitutionally defensible. I, I don't know that you can start denying these benefits for, for a drug test. So I think that it is, if you want a um, a San Francisco attorney full employment act, I think, I think you vote yes for this. If you, we'll keep them if employed, If you yes. don't want that and actually want to solve a problem, this isn't solving a problem. I don't know who is going to, who is in the throes of an addiction where they've lost everything else in their lives are going to actually pivot on this last $712 available to them once a month. I can't see it happening. You're going to be out there. You're not going to actually, I have not seen this sort of filtration system work to solve homelessness. Now, you can be unhappy about somebody who is on drugs collecting some benefits, um, and maybe some of those benefits are actually helping your your life because maybe these people are actually in a shelter and you don't have to look at them anymore, but they still exist. And, and the problem here is that when you decide to make this portal and you cannot provide adequate treatment services, which is true, true. in every major city that is true. in America and small, city. Yep. and small city, but we're talking about a major city doing it here. Mm-hmm. I mean, this seems like it's it's mind bendingly nuts to do something like this without having a structure in place to either provide the treatment or to even understand like legally that they are very, very, very unlikely to ever see this enacted because it's going to be challenged immediately, likely successfully. So, Mm. 
Yeah, I mean, what the way they're describing, at least Mayor Breed, she says, look, I'm, to, I'm told time and again that uh, we have no leverage to get people mm-hmm. into treatment. Yes. So maybe if we withhold this $109 check, that's going to be the incentive that gets them in the door. <sighs> Just from a gut check perspective, the way I think about it is... Uh, if San Francisco stops providing $109 a month to people who are living on the streets and who are addicted to drugs, that's $109 a month that they're going to need to secure from some other source. And where do you think that source is going to be? It is going to be the back of my car. It is going to be the restaurant down the street that they break into to steal the liquor bottles and sell them. The like, Safeway, the Target, yes. the all of this, right? I mean, I mean so intuitively, there's going to be a pressure it, it valve bad. on this, right? It Don't give seem people like, on drugs money. It seems like a terrible idea. Yeah. Uh, all right. I'm curious, though, for a city like San Francisco, to be considering to it. To be considering it. I yeah. mean, that's a liberal bastion. Yes. And to be considering it is interesting. I, I have to read up more on it, but yeah. I mean, I, well, I, when, I basically spoke my my gut instinct, although legally speaking, I think you're absolutely When you correct. become one of the highest income cities in the world, you know, your politics change. That's the way it works. Yeah, I mean, it's the way it worked in Manhattan. It's the way it worked in L.A. It's the way it worked in Seattle. Say, the way it works in the way it works in San Francisco. This is this, of, this is what you get along with all that money. Which is honestly why I found uh, the disruption at the Seattle City Council kind of uh, kind of amusing and delightful recently because they used to be like a weekly occasion. We would see right. this happening, but that constituency can broadly no longer afford I mean, to live here. And the funny thing is, like, if we, I attended so many of those meetings with oh, so me many too. protests and. And the funny thing is, like, at, at some point, there were so fr- protests were so frequent, people weren't even looking up from their phones. They were just like continuing on oh, reading Alex their stuff. Is up like, there, there, there the mic. Like, yeah, right, right. And when you guys run out of breath, we're going to continue. But <laughs> the the protests, the way they are today, they have a different flavor. I will say because I, I also covered I, I, I covered I covered City Hall too for, I don't for years. With you. In, I don't think they have any different flavor. Yeah, I think they're exactly. I, the way I will they say that there is a, a level of lawlessness that that I didn't see before. Rabble rousing hooligans. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's go through a couple gun laws real quick. So, um, a couple things that passed the legislature. So, first for you gun owners out there, if your gun is stolen or it is lost, uh, should this the governor sign this bill, you will have 24 hours to report that gun. Otherwise, you could face a fine of up to a thousand dollars. Also, gun shops are going to be responsible for securing their stores. So they would need to have bars, grates, and security screens on all the windows, and commercial-grade metal doors at each point of entry. Mike, where do you stand on that? I think that it's... Uh, so, What first things first. So the, the, the 24 hours to notify the police, I think, mm-hmm. is a great idea. I think they should. I, I think my only my only small caveat on that is if there can be, you can have a break-in. I one would hope that you check for your firearms, but you can't have a break-in where you don't actually assess everything that was stolen, and right. you may not know. And if there was a caveat where you could provably say, hey, I didn't realize this. I, don't, I shouldn't have to pay the fine because I didn't know that this thing was actually stolen. I guess so. But it seems to me like if you have a break-in and you know about the break-in, uh, you should be able to. One of the first things you should probably check is whether or not your money is still there, if you had money in the house, and whether or not your firearms are still there. And that seems not to be asking too much. As far as the gun shops, the thing that's odd to me is I don't know that I've ever seen any store whatsoever that is more fortified than most gun shops. I mean, they it seems to me like 
most of them probably won't have to do anything at all to add pawn shops. Pawn, well, pawn shops as well. Yeah, I mean they have they sell guns. I see. I see a lot of security in places like that. So, to the extent that they need to have more security, but but I think that I actually kind of agree with the gun advocates who say that you know most of the gun theft problems are the first thing we talked about, the individual st- mm-hmm. thefts from houses, yeah. and they're not really uh, anyone who has the guts <laughs> to break into a gun shop where the staff is armed or maybe not maybe at after night hours. after hours they're pretty secure it seems to me like that seems more performative legislation doesn't bother me but it seems more performative the first one actually seems to make sense i am uh, totally in concurrence with mike um mm. because i thought a little bit more about the gun shop thing and the pun shop uh, and all the requirements just on a an emotional level, it sounds like that makes sense. I mean, why wouldn't you want to have all those things in place? But according to the gun retailers, they say, what, 2% of crimes committed with stolen firearms from them? That, I mean, that's what it, it's almost like finding a solution, that? finding a solution in search of a, a, a problem. Um, if you're going to make that requirement, uh, is there going to be any sort of, of thing to offset some of the costs of doing all these fortifications? Again, I would say yes to both, but I think one is more performative than the other. I think the only issue I would have with having to report quickly, it would be if you aren't aware. But I think there's an argument to be made with if well, you have a firearm. Are you going to levy, a, you you? Gonna levy a, a, a criminal pen or a civil penalty on someone who's been the victim of a crime and having something stolen? Well, that's the it, argument it, against it. But you should read and, and frequently gun theft isn't reported. That's the problem right now. They're actually yep. addressing a real problem because people yes. often don't because they don't want the liability they're yes. in. Right. So so they don't. I would say is, and also what I don't understand about the gun shop thing, and I was meant to say this earlier, is. Why their insurance company? I know what our insurance company requires, and I don't own a gun shop. Our business insurance company. I mean, I can't imagine that a, that a, if you have a gun shop, you don't have to carry massive liability insurance, and that doesn't cover the security aspects that they will come in and inspect. I I don't understand why this isn't already in place, at least from a commercial standpoint, if not a legal standpoint. But now, now do the pot shops, please. Yeah. So we can stop talking about those getting crashed oh into. Oh, my gosh. So true. Uh, Christina Renton's asking, how is it helpful for police to be notified within 24 hours if you have a firearm that is stolen? I would say the faster they know, the better, because uh, there is a firearm now in the hands of someone who shouldn't have it. Uh, so I don't Great. know. I think it's as simple as that. Okay, text us, Muckleshoot Casino Resort text line, 888-973-5476, cairo Coming up next, we're going to talk about a young girl who has gone viral on social media because of her passionate rendition of the national anthem. But it has sparked some fierce debate. And I want to get your take because there's a part of me that feels very guilty even talking about it. But... Um, It was at a professional basketball game, and it is something to um, that'll stay stick in your memory. Think Roseanne Barr (laughs) or Fergie. Or Fergie. I think the comparison is Fergie. Okay, we'll have that next on the G and Ursula Show.
Welcome back to the G and Ursula show. G is out today. Mike Lewis is in and is a former news guy and me as a, a, a former news gal. We've had a lot of news. So before anyone says, oh, my gosh, this is such a light segment. Uh, yeah, I'm just going to preface it by saying we're going especially light right now because we're going to be talking about this eight year old girl who was asked to sing the national anthem at a recent Indiana Pacers game. And I will tell you that the reaction has been very passionate. So Kinsley Murray took the mic in front of the arena filled with fans. And uh, check this out. Here it is. Here, here's a little bit. Oh, say can you see that the dawn's early light so So I will say that she had a very strong start, um, but uh, then it continued. And, and by the way, she is in a sparkly dress. It's a, a, um, a, a flag. It's of a flag. And she is, you know, fully decked out. So here, here, here's more. Okay, Mike, you're you're, you're um, listening intently. This is we said. Don't listen beforehand. We're going to yes. let you listen. I listened We're as intently listen. as I could. <laughs> okay, can I give you the finale and then we'll we'll get into a conversation? Okay, so here's the finale. The grand finale. <laughs> Pacers shared it on social media, shared it on TikTok, shared it. All. it the video has been viewed over 15 million times, one and a half million likes as of uh, this morning. But Which there means were a lot 14 of people, million dislikes. <laughs> there were a lot of people who were not so kind. Yes. And I, I, I felt horrible that at some point I started chuckling because, again, she's only eight years old. But <laughs> <laughs> Someone just said my Dog was staring at the radio in horror, listening to that. <laughs> Just listening to spit dog. But and then there were people. It like, sounded better in her head. I'll tell you it, that much. It did sound better. Well, get this: she had sung the Canadian anthem too. She has got. She's making the rounds. So my question is: who do you blame? The Indiana Pacers, because not only do they have her invite her to sing, she they then share it on social media. I blame the Canadians. Why didn't they stop her? <laughs> 
This could have been an international incident. I, I think. I mean, she's an eight-year-old kid. She did. She did fine. I mean, she obviously wanted to ratchet up the performative aspects, and she's clearly been listening to somebody who she really dug uh, singing Spurgy. the national anthem, and she's trying to sort of find a way. Uh, to to match that, and no adult walked in and said we need to work on this a bit. Maybe next month after we run do some practice runs on this. Uh, but and but that, I, is the, the that is like, one of the biggest debates, though. It's like, do you, you know, as the parent, do you say, "Hey, that was that that was great," or do you say, "You know what? We need to work on a few of these things so, before we go out again." Two points. As a kid who actually like literally could not get his art on the fridge, and like my mom had standards, she would hand it. <laughs> She would hand it back to you if Stop. it wasn't good enough. No I way. am not kidding. No She's way. like, Mike, you're not- six. This is trash. Exactly. That was a, that's actually not very. I mean, my mom is a phenomenal person, but she was like, and, and frequently she was right. You could do better. Like, it wasn't like you didn't just get on there by rote. And the problem was my sister Sally was a dominant artist. And so, like, <laughs> so the, uh, the fridge was covered in her stuff. And then every now and then you'd get just a sliver of the fridge, maybe with, with your own stuff. So, you, know so. What the, you know what this tells me as a parent? That's why I ended up as an angry newspaper reporter? Yes. No, this tells me as a parent, we lie to our kids a lot. We lie to them a lot because we sit down with little Johnny and Sally, or in my situation, Matthew and Alice, and we tell them, sweetie, you can be anything you want to be. And the reality is, they can't. They can't. <laughs> and in fact, you just want them to not be on the couch when they're 22 years old. But you, right? don't, you don't get to sing at a professional basketball game unless... Some, you have to submit a demo tape? Unless yes. an adult says yes. Yes. Uh, unless, and then That's an true. organization not only does that, but then... Can I, can I bring up my other pet peeve yeah, here? Yeah, 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 yes. Why not? Why yes, not? While why we're not? on the pet peeve <laughs> yes, circuit. Yes, absolutely. I still am kind of... And I know it's a tradition, and I know I'm not going to single-handedly end this, and I know that I'm probably maybe out on an island of one on this. I do not know why we have chosen sporting events for our national anthem and Mm. not court or sessions of Congress or city council or like things that actually are part of what the country like we've decided essentially if we do it for sporting events why not for movies why don't we stand up before a movie and sing the national anthem it's always been kind of like kind of crazy to me like why this event it's supposed to be do a we, unifying thing but but it's a unifying thing if we're participating in government and we're all at city council meeting it's a unifying thing when Cong- why, why don't they sing it they don't like seriously, like things that actually matter structurally to this country. We don't sing the national anthem, but if it's, it's an NFL, national, but if it's an NFL are, game, we want a, we want a, and, you know, we want a jet flyover and some guns and some other stuff, and then a national anthem, because and then if we're playing a Canadian you're team, money for that. But you get my point. Like yes, it's I an do. odd thing that we've chosen entertainment. Why not for a concert? Why not when when Taylor Swift was here? Did we not do the national anthem before Taylor Swift? I mean, you can't a compete bigger there. effect on the economy probably than Seahawks like that. Okay, maybe I got one answer. The national anthem might be one of the hardest songs to sing. Yeah. Well. All right. So maybe we should just stop singing it entirely. I mean, again, I'm much more fan of America the Beautiful as a national anthem anyway. But that you know, I'm really gonna go down the he hates America road. I don't. I actually love America. But I don't see why we do a national anthem at an entertainment venue. Do you want to see more of the national anthem? Text us, 888-973-5476, Cairo. And for anyone whose dog was bothered by that last segment, or or if I made you slightly we run apologize. off the road, we apologize for sure. Can I add in one more point? Yes, please. For all the folks that were so concerned about Colin Kaepernick kneeling during the anthem and disrespecting the American flag, I would like to point out, 
the millions upon millions of folks who wear flag apparel in dishonor. Like her, her, her dress is the flag cut up. You're not supposed to do that. You can have a flag patch. <laughs> Just pile on a right? eight-year-old dress. Right? I know, I know. She I'm didn't pick her outfit, Mike. <laughs> her parents are clearly you know not what? making good choices. She has become You can still have time to log on to the video and criticize. You know that, right? Do you want to hear O Canada next? <laughs> she did four minutes, two songs. <laughs> they were playing the Raptor. She sang both. Oh, no. She has some stamina. Oh, no. And you know what? Someone else invited her to sing the national anthem. How'd she so. do with O Canada? <laughs> I think it was pretty similar. <laughs> I'm not going to disgrace our audience. No, by no, no, <laughs> no, no, no. We're good. Okay. We will wrap up the show coming up next. This is the G and Ursula show. We are done with the G and Ursula show, our Thursday edition. G has been out the last couple of days, and Mike Lewis has stepped in. And Mike, I just want to say it has been a great pleasure. Absolutely. Loads of fun. The last segment, checked our text line, and we had so many people clamoring for more. Okay, okay, okay. Okay, no. Right. Uh, no, we really did it. beating up on the kid. <laughs> no, you know what? And, and let, I think she and has... And let social media do that I, for I us. I think she has a, an extremely bright future. She has a lot of confidence. Her name is now <laughs> I'm not sure she has an extremely bright future. <laughs> Ursula, that's she like might telling have someone they're no, brave. She, yeah, no, exactly. no, no. Anyone who has like vocal background will probably agree with me that with just a little bit of you know working on the pitch working on maybe not doing so many runs and trying to just not go beyond where she is right now she can get better to be fair sure. she showed some promise yeah. i'll say that right yeah, yeah you were a musical guy too <laughs> absolutely i okay. don't know that i would ever take that if someone said you know mike you showed some promise <laughs> Again, She's a child. There's no patronizing, okay? As you just admitted no earlier. There's not enough patronizing. Your mom didn't put your art up on the fridge. She didn't. I'm still so I'm, Maybe I'm still wounded by this. Maybe I'm just angry. I've never lost that anger. All right. Uh, from the Kent mayor uh, and chief who want to allow cities to raise sales taxes for public safety without voter approval. From Tim and Anacortes, taxpayers should vote on any taxes, period. Cliff says, if the city could do a 0.1% increase, just do that for three years. Three band-aids that cover that wound does make sense. It's a mistake not to go down that path while trying to get more. Bingo. Chef said the same thing, and he's entirely right. Uh, on Boeing, Frank and 425, one thing that has not come up is that it was union factory workers that failed to properly install the door. If there was pressure to, quote, work faster, I'm sure there was, the, quote, skilled workers should know better and do what's right. Again, union leaders have been silent on the entire issue. Boeing is clearly not the same Boeing. I will say, though, that those fuselages are actually built by Spirit, a subcontractor to Boeing. And then, they're, and then they're shipped and then they're shipped over here. I don't know specific if that's specific to the doors or not in the issue that we're talking about. On the Parents' Bill of Rights in Olympia, Teresa and Renton says parents can already opt out their kids from any content. And from Sean and Parkland, I have kids in middle school and when they take sex ed, the school gives a link to what they are taught with the option to opt out. Same with history class. Links are what links to what they are teaching. 
So what is the most frustrating driving behavior that you see on the road? So many of you texted in. Carol in Seattle. (laughs) While you were driving, probably. (laughs) Don't do it. Exactly. Wait a minute. Busted. I get so frustrated, she says, with drivers in the left turn lane who, when the light turns green, don't pull out into the intersection, thereby allowing drivers behind them to actually make the light legally when safe to do so. They just sit and sit and wait, and then they are the only car that makes it through that light. From CH in the 206, I hate it when uh, when you... You, when I'm at no right on red intersection, pedestrians are crossing on green against the do not walk, I might add. 360 says four-way stop confusion. Some people will not go when it's their turn or they just wait a long oh, time before the great going. Seattle, the great Seattle. <laughs> oh, like, you go the, ahead. The aggressive politeness. <laughs> Hostile politeness. From Kevin in Seattle, biggest driving pet peeve. People speeding and passing on the right-hand entrance and exit lanes on I-5, especially at 50th southbound and under the convention center. That's entirely true. It's dangerous and infuriating. We asked, do you have a will? Because so many people don't. What is it? Fewer than one in three in this country have actually have a will. Connie in Mount Lake Terrace says, if a person dies without a will, it is a pain in the butt in court. So much more complicated. There's a big court process that has to happen if one dies without one. From Deanna, Chef. Chef, you're listening. Your estate will go into probate court and a judge will decide, but that will cost your loved ones a minimum of $7,000 to go through the process. If you have a trust or do a transfer of deed of your house, your family will avoid probate court. It's very important to alleviate as much stress for your loved ones when you pass. It's so stressful. It's almost as bad as watching your loved one die. That was a lot of big words. I don't don't know. (laughs) You don't mind the stress. Some people were giving you a hard time, Chef, for being honest, but you're being... you're being honest. A lot of people in my situation. Exactly. Yeah. And that is the point. Why and do you I'm think sure... we bring it up? Exactly. And, and quite frankly, I've shared that mine hasn't been updated in a while. And so I had to tell my husband my phone code just in case. Right. Which is not the best way to go. We need to get that thing updated, and that's going to happen this year. Okay, on scenarios, he's still not proposing. Should I propose? 253 says there are certain things that should just stay the way they've always been. The marriage proposal is one of them. Now, I don't know I don't what that means exactly. Well, they think that, that the, the, the guy I mean, that should there be should the always one. be. No. I know. No. I, it's no. 2024. No. Uh, from Stella in the 206. There uh, we go. <laughs> Uh, I'm so glad you asked Mike about his lady. He hasn't mentioned her lately. I was hoping because Mike is a real catch. That's very, very sweet of you. She's Thank right. you, <laughs> you Stella. Are a real catch. I'm guess I'm guessing that the check arrived. So I appreciate that nice text. <laughs> Mike is such a catch that our friend Mike Washington, who you heard from yesterday, wanted to come in studio just to get a chance to meet Mike Lewis. Now that is something. Yeah, and but did you see him leave? Very disappointed. <laughs> no, it's not true. Our words to live by brought to you by Wilcox Farms, and this is inspired by what we were saying. That sometimes you have to tell the honest truth, even if it's difficult. This is from Fred Rogers, who says, "Honesty is often very hard. The truth is often painful, but the freedom it can bring is worth the trying." Love you all. Mike will do this again tomorrow. Absolutely. Uh, Chef, thank you so much. And Nick, take us out. Do I let the lady make the moves proposing us for marriage, or should I be pulling up my big boy pants to send the message that the role I had in mind was getting on my knee to ask, but instead I could be found with tears while she picks up the task, and to some it could be detrimental avoiding routine ways, while the others, guys will ask the girl, what gave you the delay? 
And let this be a hint to Mary contemplating action. Mike is sitting on his thumbs waiting for his satisfaction and some sort of remedy for that anthem, too. <laughs> Help him out, Mary. <laughs> Nick, thank you thank so you. much. It's been a fun show. We'll do this again tomorrow. Stick around. Jack and Spike are coming up next. Hope you have as much fun as we have. So long, everybody.